0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer
1: Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors.
0: Digestion is like a machine, and with every machine, you need to do preventative maintenance and you need to give it a little TLC. Unfortunately, as we age, much like any other machine, you need to give it more TLC. As we get older, we tend to go in the other direction. Most of us tend to take our digestion and our health in general for granted and do backstepping instead of trying to get better.
2: Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to learn the top tips for digestion. We'll also hear about the top cookbooks of 2018. Then we'll find out how yoga can help with menstrual cramps and pain. And lastly, we'll learn how to book your holiday party. But first, a little bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favourite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavour is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try Activated Charcoal and Mint, Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely Natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality and natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel's an entertaining and accessible writer, and today we're going to discuss his latest article in the December issue of Tonic Magazine, All About Digestion. Welcome back, Joel. Always a pleasure to be here, Jamie. So here's my plan for the holidays. I'm going to overeat. (laughs) Actually, you and everyone else. Yeah, it's more of a prediction and a self-fulfilling prophecy than a plan, but it's probably going to happen. And you are on the show this morning to help us discuss some natural tips to aid in digestion so that if I do overdo it, at least we got things under control.
0: I'm going to try and see if I can help a little.
2: Okay. That's all we can do. We can only do our best. All right, so let's talk about digestion. What can go wrong with our digestion?
0: Well, unfortunately, most of us do exactly what you said. You're expecting to do, not yeah. planning, expecting, e- which is overdo it. Yeah. Yep. Occasionally overdoing it, eh, that's all right. It it just happens. Unfortunately, for most of us, it's not an occasional. It's a commonplace, and it's when we go overboard too often, we discover that the road to long lasting digestion success, we're derailed. We are. And and the truth is, a lot can go wrong with digestion. And it is so fundamental to our health because what digestion is, it's designed to break down the foods and drink we take in into the individual constituents our body needs. Carbohydrates, fats, protein, without them and without it functioning properly,
2: we don't function properly. Right. I know when I'm off generally, when I'm going to get sick, I get indicators. Right. So like it starts with my gums, but then it's also my digestive system. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I know I can tell just like if I'm feeling bloated or, you know, like something's coming down the literal and proverbial pipe (laughs) and and there's going to be bigger problems down the line if I don't take care of it. And also when I started sort of fixing myself, you know, my Mm -hmm. process that I went through to sort of get my health, I found that I was better able to digest just by doing sort of, it's a lifestyle decision. It's my long winded way of saying it. Like once you, once you get on the right track, you know, it's easier to stay on that track, right?
0: Oh, definitely. The easiest way to think about it from my opinion is that digestion is like a machine. Right. And with every machine, you need to do preventative maintenance and you need to give it a little TLC. Unfortunately, as we age, much like any other machine, you need to give it more TLC. Because
2: you're not under warranty anymore.
0: No, no. Warranty expires, unfortunately. Yeah. Much earlier. Much earlier than we'd want. Yep. But at the same time, we have to realize that as we get older, we tend to go in the other direction. Correct. Most of us tend to take our digestion and our health in general for granted and do backstepping instead of trying
2: to get better. Right. Okay. So one of the things that you recommend to assist... Is basically what we drink. We have to watch what we drink. So do you want to expand upon that? Definitely. The
0: key here, as with I think every time I've spoken, one word, water. Right. Clean, fresh water is your best ally. Everything else at best is second best and can be much worse. Water keeps you hydrated, obviously. Yeah. And that hydration is necessary for your digestive system to function. A it moves things through you. Right. And B, it helps your body actually eliminate the things you want gone. More importantly than that is that water in and of itself signals your body to actually digest properly. If you don't have enough, you move into a mode where your body tries to keep things in you. Right. Now, I understand myself, I love the taste of water. Clean water and I, we're good friends. Right. There's a lot of people who don't. I I understand that.
2: I don't know. I, I know you've said this before. I don't know anybody who, who like isn't at least okay with water. I, I know you say people don't like it. What's your empirical experience? Is it just that they they need some flavoring in order to drink? Or? Definitely. I'd say when I when I talk to people, I'd say it's
0: roughly between twenty and thirty percent of people just can't sit down and have a glass of water and be happy. Right. So for them, I say add a little bit of healthy flavor. That being either some chlorophyll. A lot of people do that or a little bit of fresh lemon. Some people like cucumber in the summer. Anything just to give it a little bit of help. Unfortunately, though, a lot of people go overboard and start putting in those squeeze bottles of artificial flavor. They'll make their own kind of like drink or soda. All those take you back a step. You're removing the health benefit of just clean water and adding chemicals that don't help you. So go as easy as you can. Drink as much clean water as you can, and worse comes to worse if you have to flavor it. Chlorophyll, a little bit of fruit, or even if you want, just make a herbal tea non-caffeinated.
2: Right. And, and I would add this, if you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Correct. When you start noticing that you're, you know your mouth is dry or you're feeling fatigued or weak, you're probably not even hungry. You're probably more thirsty than hungry. And that's. Uh, I make sure that if I'm feeling tired, if I drink water, try that first and see if that makes a difference to your immediate experience of tiredness.
0: Oh, definitely. They they also find that a lot of people, if you have just a glass of water or herbal tea by your desk, you drink it, sip it throughout the day. Don't chug, just sip it. They tend to eat less, have more energy levels, and have better digestive health.
2: Right. And I'm going to say right now, I know everybody's with the uh, eight glasses or six glasses of water a day. Yeah, fine. If that helps you get through <laughs> your day and if you know like if you need the regimen of having that much water or that exact amount of water, go for it. I think if you just drank more water and cut out soft drinks, you'd be light years ahead, but that's just Oh, not.
0: heck yeah. Soft drinks are not your friend.
2: No. <laughs> All right. So, the other thing that you recommend, which is obvious, but I think we should discuss it because people may not understand it perfectly, is probiotics. Definitely.
0: Now, probiotics, the name a lot of people don't understand and they right. wonder, about. basically probiotic abbreviated is that it is organisms that are healthy for your life. Definitely. That's what they are. And you have to think about it this way. There's a constant battle going on inside your digestive tract. It's a battle between pathogenic, which are unhealthy, Di- organisms, and probiotics, which are healthy organisms. They help you digest your food. Well, they do much more than that. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of their base functions, right. but they do much more. It's actually the majority of your immune system is also there, right. and they play a big role in that. So this constant battle is going on, and at stake, or what's on the line, is your health. So
2: it makes sense to take care of it. Yeah.
0: The more probiotics you have and the more varied number of probiotics you have in you, They crowd out the pathogenic organisms, and as a result, you're healthier. And it's not something whereby you reach a plateau and then you just stop. Because if you do that, the pathogenic will slowly increase and crowd out your probiotics. What you have to do is have a constant influx of them, the probiotics that is, to keep the pathogenic organisms at bay.
2: Okay. So how would you recommend getting probiotics into your system?
0: Well, first, start with healthy diet. Easy thing. Sources of probiotics from your diet. Fermented foods, kefir, uh, sauerkraut, even some pickles are that. Kombucha. Kombucha, sorry. Yeah, definitely kombucha is a big one. I don't know why I didn't think of that immediately. And yogurt. Although I must say with yogurt, you have to be careful. Often yogurt will have some probiotics by the time it gets to you, but not nearly enough to make it as healthy as the halo it likes to
2: have. Right. There are probiotics that you can take in supplement form too, right?
0: Definitely. I recommend most people take probiotic supplement as well as their healthy food every day. My personal choice, yep. I go for vegan organic ones, probiotics that is. And the reason I do that is they're the cleanest. Okay. I'm a big purveyor of clean.
2: I know that. <laughs> so how many millions of organisms? I know that's how they rate them, right? Like it's
0: They do. My personal yeah. thought is I try and go with between four and six billion okay. a day okay. through my supplements because I found from my research that you can go yeah there are products out there with 40 50 60 70 even a hundred billion most of that is fluff
2: okay and when we, even though we're using the B word with billion we're just talking about one pill right oh yeah
0: you can get most probiotic supplements are one capsule or one tablet a day that's it
2: even though we're talking about billions
0: oh yeah Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. How about fat? Is it okay to eat fat? Okay, yes. It's actually necessary. Your body needs fat to survive. Right. Every one of your cells actually has fat in it, and if it doesn't, the cell structure itself will have issues. The problem we have in North America and in all Western society is we don't know what good fat is, and we don't know how much good fat is. Right. The problem is that we just eat way too much of the wrong types. And you have to remember, fats inherently are difficult to digest. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have healthy digestion and healthy, just in general, be healthy, stick to your good fats, which are omega-3s, polyunsaturated, not trans fats, and in moderation. Don't go out and have burger, fries, deep fried this, deep fried that, chips all the time. Yes, like everyone else on the planet, I do occasionally have that. And no one's going to fault you for having it occasionally. But when it's a significant portion of your diet, as it is with many of us in North America,
2: that's when you have problems. Okay. So we know that fiber is, is good for you. What else should we know about fiber specifically? Well, fiber is very misunderstood.
0: Very misunderstood. First thing is, it's not just one entity. There's two distinct types of fiber. Okay. We have soluble mm-hmm. and insoluble. Insoluble, everyone Thinks of as being fiber. That's the roughage that scrapes your junk inners, yeah, yeah. (laughs) and helps you poop. Right. But important also is soluble fiber, and what soluble fiber does is it actually soothes and helps your digestive system work without irritating it. It's
2: like a lubricant.
0: Yes, in some ways it is, and there are different grades of fibers, both insoluble and soluble, and. The nice thing is your body needs both. So it's not as though you can go out there and have a massive amount of really, 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 really big roughage and say, okay, I'm great. No, you need to balance them both in your body, and you need to have enough. Essentially, you want to aim for, if you're just trying to stay the health level you're at, around 30 grams a day. Okay. If you want to actually begin to improve your health, you want to hit around 60 grams a day. The unfortunate part is... Almost no one gets the lower number, the 30 grams on average a day. Most North Americans struggle to hit 10. And yes, I'm also talking to you vegetarians and vegans. Statistically
2: speaking, you do need to supplement on top of a healthy diet every day. And how would you recommend going about supplementing for fiber? Is it as simple as getting fiber?
0: Yes. There's multiple supplements out there you can get, soluble, insoluble. Some of them are combinations. I find personally with myself and most of the people I've interacted with, they get enough insoluble. They just don't get enough soluble. So I recommend for them a pure soluble fiber supplement. The good thing is there's a new generation of soluble fiber supplements. You just take them. They're white powders. You put them even in cold water, stir them. You'll never know they're there.
2: And your company makes
0: one? We make one called Fiberific.
2: Right. Okay. Spice. I'm of Uh, two minds on spice, right? Sometimes it helps, sometimes not so much, right?
0: I'm right sitting there beside you. I'm one of those people growing up. I love my spice. I was of the opinion that garlic, onion, oregano, cayenne, the right amount was twice what you thought you needed. Right. However, I've since learned as an adult that spice does irritate. Mm -hmm. So it's a balancing act. Spices are pound for pound the healthiest, pro- the healthiest thing you're ever going to find. They're just jam-packed with antioxidants and, and compounds that help you. However, those compounds also can hurt you. So what I recommend people do is they actually moderate. Find out how much they can handle and stick within it. hmm
2: And that way you maximize your health benefits
0: while minimizing the issues.
2: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as you get older, your tolerance to spice sort of reduces, right? So, you know, something to consider. Maybe back in the day you could have all the garlic and onions and hot peppers, but maybe not so much as you get older.
0: Well, it's like everything else with your digestive system. As you age, the machine
2: slowly breaks down a little. (laughs) Okay. We have time to cover one more point, and that is pH levels and acidity, which is a big one in health and wellness. Oh,
0: Yeah. Acidity, we are an acid environment, essentially. Everything we do, unless we actively try to avoid it, causes acidity. Here's one where uh, liquids, big thing. Avoid carbonated beverages and avoid anything with caffeine. Both of those increase the acidity and at the
2: same time irritate your digestive system. And are there foods or supplements that we can take to balance out the pH? Yes, green supplements do that
0: quite well, but you're not going to tackle that mountain with a little molehill. You actually have to get fairly aggressive at it and on a consistent basis. One of the easiest ones
2: to do is chlorophyll again. Right. And you guys make chlorophyll as well, don't you? We
0: do. We have a chlorophyll line as well.
2: Fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show today. When you come back in the new year, we're going to talk all about the natural treatment of food allergies, right? Oh, yes. A topic near and dear to me. Very interesting to me, too. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to hear all about the top cookbooks of 2018 on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighbourhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca.
0: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
2: Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, mother of three teenagers and various kids in their 20s, my next guest is also the phenomenally popular cookbook reviewer for Tonic Magazine, my wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. In the December issue of Tonic, you provided your top picks for the best cookbooks that you've seen this year, just in time for holiday gift-giving. That's right. Very convenient.
3: (laughs) What a coincidence. I
2: know. It was quite coincidental. It worked out for everybody involved. (laughs) A win-win. Exactly. So uh, we're bringing on the show today so that you can let everybody know which cookbooks uh, are ones that you think are best, and we've divided them into categories. So let's start... With our friends at the Food Network, okay? Because everybody knows the food stars if they watch TV, right? That's right.
3: So there are some beloved Food Network stars who have put out some cookbooks lately, and they're all good. You know, they're, if you're buying for somebody who's a fan, uh, you can't go wrong with these. So Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa, who is also beloved. Is, she, an- still,
2: is she still with Jeffrey, her of husband? Of course Jen- she is still Everything's with Jeffrey. About, for those of you who don't know, it's always about cooking for her husband. Always. As
3: a matter of fact, her last cookbook was Cooking for Jeffrey, which I couldn't bring myself to buy or yeah, even read because it was too, too sappy, yeah. but she has a new one though, yep. and it's called Cook Like a Pro, and so she's sharing her tips for home cooks, and
2: it's good. You know, it's, right, and she actually had like a she has like a food shop uh, in the Hamptons, doesn't she, or something? Isn't that how she got started?
3: That's how she got started. So okay. She had a career doing something else before then. So also, uh, Nigella Lawson, who with her sultry staring at the camera ways, which is also a bit much, but she's also pretty beloved. She has a new book called At My Table, a celebration of home cooking. And so if you're a fan of Nigella Lawson and her cooking, these are good recipes. You know, they're doable. There, She has something called emergency brownies. You know, if you need brownies stat, this is the way
2: to get them. So she's British. Is her cookbook, like, is it all an imperial measure? Are they like the weigh things or is it more accessible? Or,
3: you no, know. it's that they always have an American version
2: that okay. they put out. Okay, and anybody else from the Food Network? Jamie Oliver, who is who happens Oliver. to be a very nice man. We met him.
3: Yes, that's right. We met him because our son cooked in a little contest with him. That was very cool. Uh, so he's a good guy. He has many cookbooks. I had one of his early cookbooks, which I still you know which I still use. But he has one called uh, Jamie Cooks Italy. And it's got, you know, great Italian recipes and lots of pretty pictures. So, again, if you're a Jamie Oliver fan, it's a good one. All these have just come out.
2: Okay. So, if those are the sort of the stars or the food celebrities. But also, there you know, there's food trends out there. And one of the trends that I think you've discussed over the course of the past year is Middle Eastern cooking is, is sort of a hot trend in terms of cookbooks, right?
3: Yeah, it seems to be. There was a number of cookbooks this year and last year and they're all good and interesting and slightly different perspectives but a hot ticket in terms of cookbooks for cookbook lovers is Ottolenghi who's come out with a new book called Simple and while his Previous books are all have great recipes, delicious. They tend to be pretty involved, so you look at the list of ingredients is very long, and there's a lot of steps. And so, just the idea of making this when you come home after work is a bit daunting. So, this new cookbook called Simple is designed for you know recipes that take thirty minutes or less and ten or fewer ingredients. And so that's the theme of the cookbook. So similar flavors, you know, the Middle Eastern flavors that are in his previous books, although slightly more of a global focus. So there's other kind of branches out a bit. It's not just Middle Eastern.
2: Is it vegetable forward like some of his other books?
3: Vegetable forward, but not vegetarian. There's meat dishes too.
2: And are there any other Middle Eastern cookbooks that you might recommend?
3: There's a new one called Israeli Soul by the author of the Zahav cookbook, which won an award. I don't know. Maybe this one will too. It just came out. And it's, I think it's a bit more accessible than the Zahav cookbook. It's just got different types of recipes. They've got different falafel recipes, different shawarma recipes. It's a beautiful book. Yeah, it's a beautiful book with, it's an interesting book. It's, you buy it for the recipes, but also for the stories. It just shows his sort of love of the country and the people and where they came from.
2: And, and, and Sahav Zahav, uh, there's a restaurant in Philadelphia, which was of the time we went there when it close to when it was open, it was the top restaurant in Philadelphia, which is kind of amazing for a Middle Eastern restaurant to be the top restaurant in a city the size of Philly. But it really was quite excellent. So I agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on. wanna about to go, desserts. Desserts, you, even yeah. though
3: that's out of order. Well, let's just do it out of order. Yeah, we'll do it anyway. Because we love desserts. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, in the summer, I wrote about The Perfect Scoop. I was looking for a good ice cream book recipe, and I heard of this one, and we're still making ice cream, even though it's wintertime now. This is true.
2: When did we get our ice cream maker? It was like well over a decade ago, right? Oh,
3: yeah, from maybe 20 years ago.
2: Right, and it languished, and we maybe used it three times in total, but since we got this cookbook, we've actually, I think, doubled- We've made more ice cream this year than we had in the past 15 years just because of this cookbook because it really is very good.
3: It really is very good. Like, yes, it's easier to buy ice cream than to make it. But if you're going to make it, it might as well be really good, or you should just buy it. And so all the ice creams that we've made have been really good. Our favorite is the coffee. Yes. It seems to be the favorite, the it's
2: fan simple, favorite. but It's simple, but it's good. And here's the thing. like You are the dessert maven, and I really don't make desserts. I'm not a very good baker. But this allows me to sort of pitch in and make desserts because it seems I can make ice cream. Still not as good as you, but I can do it. You're shaking your head. All right.
3: <laughs> I'm silent.
2: Okay. <laughs> all right. So what other desserts?
3: There's a new one called Rose's Baking Basics, which is by Rose Levy Birnbaum. She's written lots of books that are also good fundamental books like the Cake and Pastry Bible. But this one is particularly good for new bakers, but not just. like It's not only simple recipes. It's just when I looked at it, I was impressed by the way she laid out the steps, and she's got pictures, you know, pictures of what the ingredients should look like at different stages and different options for switching things up. But it just, it seemed like it would be very easy to follow. And she covers, as she says, baking basics. It's all the basics. So it would would be a good one if you didn't have a dessert cookbook and you're new to baking.
2: Okay. And are there any other dessert books that you would recommend?
3: Well, I also like Genius Desserts, which came out recently. And I talked about this on the show, a previous show. That's a great book. Also, it will be new and popular, and it's got just a variety of all the different kinds of desserts that you might want to cook now.
2: Would you say it's a more advanced dessert cookbook than, than Rose Levy Beranbaum's Basics?
3: Some of the recipes are more advanced, and some not. There are some. There's lots of very simple recipes and genius desserts, and then there are some that are
2: a little bit more advanced. Okay. So another, I wouldn't say it's a food trend, but certainly there's a grouping of books that cover a cuisine that's sort of classic, and that's French cookbooks.
3: Yes, I did notice a number of French cookbooks. There's one called Tasting Paris by a blogger, Clotilde Dussilier, and she's come out with a few books before. But I looked at this one, and I thought, yeah, you know what? This looks good. This is not fancy French food, but French food that might actually make you know fish and chicken and cheese, but not super heavy either
2: you're not making cheese with, with these recipes no right?
3: it was just you know the cheese course it's just it it was the idea is that tasting paris cook like a local and so right. this is what french people who live in paris would actually eat and make for dinner
2: right so it was almost like a cultural book in addition to being a cookbook because it sort of discussed the pairings and and when you would eat it and how you would eat it right
3: Yes, but it's definitely doable for every day and for dinner parties, too. But it, it wasn't, you didn't have to sort of set aside the day to do the cooking.
2: Okay. Are there any other French cookbooks that you would recommend?
3: In the French Kitchen with Kids is something I wrote about, and uh, that's a Toronto cookbook by a uh, French teacher. She teaches French, but she also has cooking classes. And then she came out with this cookbook, which is for kids and not for kids. Like you could make it even if you didn't have kids. And I thought her recipes were very good, simple, doable, good family-friendly recipes. And I think you'd recognize all of them. You know, they're not too difficult or too foreign, really.
2: Right. Okay. So let's talk about there's some other cookbooks that really sort of they're not in categories. They're not really defined in groupings, but you recommend them. So what are they?
3: Well, I I really love the cookbook called Six Seasons. And I admit it's an exception because it came out in 2017, but I bought it in 2018. and So I keep, it's new to you. It's new to me. Right? And I keep hearing about it. People keep cooking from it because I see on social media, people are posting about cooking from Six Seasons. And it's a vegetable cookbook. It's not, it's not vegetarian, but it's all about vegetables. And almost every recipe that I've made from there has just been excellent like everything has really strong flavors everything is fresh and tasty and it's it can be sides or it can be mains it depends on the dish but it's just it's really worth it if you like vegetables everything has sort of spicy sweet sour salty very full flavor dishes
2: even though they're vegetable forward Mm
3: -hmm. we just made a cauliflower pasta with a cauliflower ragu recently and it has cheese in it but it's Vegetarian and it was really it was really good. It kind of tasted like macaroni and cheese in a weird yeah. way, and it was filling. It was healthy. It's just you know, it was just really good.
2: Okay, we have time for one last cookbook, which is a little surprising. Tell us about the last one you want to cover today.
3: Well, Chrissy Teigen, or Teigen, I'm not sure, I think you can John pronounce Le- it. John Legend's John girlfriend. Legend's yeah. wife. Wife? Oh, he yes, married they her. They have okay. two kids, who's a model and a social media star, has come out with a, a second cookbook. She actually came out with the first one. And it's good. It's comfort food. Her first cookbook was focused on comfort food. This is comfort food, but it's, she's trying to make it a little bit lighter. So you've still got, it's not healthy, it's healthy-ish, as she right. calls it. But she has like Pad Thai carbonara noodles, but she also has garlicky cauliflower rice. So, you know, it's vegetables, everything bagel cream cheese breakfast bake, which is apparently very good, <laughs> uh, you know, good brunch dish. And it was fun. I looked at it. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I looked through it and I thought, yeah, you know what? I like this book. Fantastic. So, yeah.
2: Well, thank you for coming in today. Next time you're back, we're going to discuss classic cookbooks and their place in the library, right? Yes. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to learn how yoga can help with menstrual cramps. On The Tonic. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMedConnect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app, that's H-M-E-D Connect, from your app store. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit omegaalphainc.com.
1: This is The Tonic on
2: Zoomer Radio. My next guest is Rochelle Winson. She's the founder of Chi Junkie Yoga Studio. She's the resident yoga expert on CTV's The Social, a regular instructor at OMTO, and contributor to Tonic Magazine. She wrote an article all about yoga for menstrual cramps and pain for the November issue of Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show.
4: Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here.
2: So obviously, I have no firsthand knowledge about PMS or menstrual cramps or other unwanted symptoms, but I feel qualified to ask some intelligent questions.
4: Wonderful. You're ready to roll with me? I'm ready to roll.
2: (laughs) Okay. So what causes menstrual cramping and pain?
4: Yeah. So menstrual cramps are usually just a cause of a lack of blood flow to the uterus.
2: And what other symptoms occur when one is suffering from PMS?
4: Oh, PMS can bring all the joys of feeling bloated, a little water retention. It can affect your mood for good, for bad. It can make you a little bit more irritable. Hold on, I
2: have to stop you. For good? Seriously? That has not been my third-party experience.
4: Maybe not for the good. I guess I'm just trying to put a positive spin on something that's sometimes not so welcome.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I had to cut you off there. What little I know, and it's very little, is that it is not not a power for goodness. Fair
4: enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's
2: move on. Sorry, I digress. What are the other symptoms?
4: Um, Fatigue and cravings.
2: Okay. So how does yoga primarily help with this?
4: So yoga really helps to reduce the menstrual cramping and a lot of the other unwanted symptoms um, mainly because the movement will really help to increase circulation and blood flow to the uterus. We kind of tend to want to curl up into the fetal position and stay on the couch and Netflix and eat all of our favorite foods but that will only exacerbate your symptoms the movement really, really helps. And yoga can also be kind of a way of the body being a natural painkiller. So it releases endorphins, Mm -hmm. which can also help to elevate your mood. And these hormones really help to reduce the pain, the bloating, and uh, the more consistently you move, and this can be gentle movement. It doesn't have to be anything intense. This can also boost your metabolism, so you reduce those cravings.
2: Oh, okay. So I know you know your expertise are, is the yoga poses. So what I thought we could do is discuss some of the poses you know what they are, and how people do them, and what the benefits are. are you ready sure? for that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what pose you know would you first recommend to somebody who's suffering from PMS that might help them alleviate symptoms?
4: Yeah, so I always kind of gravitate to something a little bit more restorative or a yin practice, something that's not super intense on the body. Of course, if 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 vinyasa is is calling your name, by all means. But I really love heart opening poses during this time. The heart opening pose is like my favorite, which is supta baddha konasana, or in layman's terms, reclining bound angle pose. This is really nice. You're laying on your back. You can use lots of props to support this. It allows a little bit of an opening of the chest, so hence heart opener.
0: Mm-hmm. And
4: this helps to alleviate you know, the anxiety, any stress, and the fatigue associated with PMS. It also helps to stretch and open the groin and the abdomen in a really gentle way, which is great to reduce and and help with the menstrual cramps or any low back pain, which some women get. And it's really, really a nice pose to really just kind of put you in a state of calm and just really relax the nervous system.
2: So, so what does it look like? What, can you so describe? So you're
4: laying on your back. Mm-hmm. I usually like to put a bolster. Yeah, I was going to
2: say, you're, you're kind of lying on a bolster, so the blood yes. flow is, is heading downwards, right?
1: Yeah,
4: so your head is on the bolster and the bolster is in line with your spine. And then the soles of the feet can be touching and the knees fall open. So think of the legs as like a diamond shape. Right. And if you have tight hip flexors, you can either put a second bolster under the legs, under the knees for support, or two blocks or two rolled up blankets, just to kind of give it some cushion. And then you can cover yourself with a blanket, maybe put an eye pillow on and just let yourself relax fully into it.
2: Full disclosure, I, I did this pose repeatedly when I was taking some yin yoga class- yeah. classes and I would fall asleep. Mhm which, you know, it could be a good thing. I don't know. If, you, if you're if you okay with falling asleep in yoga class, this is the pose for you.
4: There's nothing wrong with falling asleep in a yoga class. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually a sign that your body is very tired and allow yourself to, to kind of accept that and, and take the rest when you can get the rest,
2: right? Right. You just don't want to fall asleep in a CrossFit class. That's that's probably not a I good sign. I think that
4: would be physically impossible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think you're right. Are there other heart opening poses that you recommend or is that really the key one?
4: I mean, that's a really beautiful one yes there's so many different heart opening poses that range from kind of this being the more restorative of them all, to right. something like camel pose which is a form of a back bend which is also a big deep heart opener so right. yeah and it just you have to listen to your body during this time what you need more of
2: would you recommend cobra would that work or
4: cobra could be great yeah 100
2: okay and upward dog i guess right
4: sure absolutely
2: okay and Other than heart-opening poses, what other types of poses might you recommend?
4: Yeah, hip-opening poses. So helpful. Mm -hmm. Hip-opening poses, you know, if you go into kind of malasana, that's nice big squat, and just let yourself kind of sit in there, helps to open the pelvis. That's a really, really nice one. Things like bound angle pose. So... Much like supta Kanasana, this one, we're actually upright or forward folded over the diamond-shaped legs. That's a really nice hip opener.
2: So you're standing up doing that? You're
4: sitting down, yeah. Ah, okay. So you're, you're on your mat seated, seated, and your soles of the feet are touching, the knees are wide open, and you just either can stay upright and keep a nice long torso or just let yourself fold forward.
2: Okay, and what else is there?
4: So we talked about malasana, and then also things like if you want to come into like a dragon pose or lizard things of that. Also very yin like to help open up the hips. Those are really nice.
2: Okay, what about the pigeon poses, which I dread? Do mm, those pigeon
4: work? pose, so good. Yes, one hundred percent. Pigeon pose is excellent for this stuff. It can actually really help to reduce like the PMS discomfort and the cramping because it's such a good way to increase circulation to your reproductive system. Pigeon's really good to help regulate blood flow and reduce all that low back pain. And also really good to help open
2: hips and I, so forth. As a spinner pigeon, I dread it because I have yeah. incredibly tight hips. Yeah. But it's actually a great pose. Can you explain what a pigeon pose looks like for yeah. people who are listening? Yep. Yeah.
4: And you can modify this for tight hips, and you can modify this if there's any discomfort into the knee. So pigeon, what you're going to do is you're going to, some people like to start it from a downward dog. Mm -hmm. So working with the right side, the right knee will work towards your right wrist. Mm -hmm. and you're kind of resting right onto that right hip. Yeah, so
2: you're starting off sort of like in a push-up position, and you bring that knee forward.
4: uh, Yeah, or downward dog. Right. Like the right knee comes forward, and it's going to be bent. The foot will be either flexed or pointed, depending on how the knee feels. Mm -hmm. And what you want to make sure is once that leg comes down and makes contact with the mat, that you don't feel a lot of intense pain or pressure in and around your right knee. Right. So if you do feel a lot of pressure, sit onto the right hip, Mm-hmm. So bring your right side of your bum down into the mat and then bend the back knee. So essentially what you've got going on is two 90-degree angles with your legs. And then you can let your torso fold over the right leg according to comfort. You can also bring the floor to you, putting a bolster under your forearms, blocks, what have you. If that is not working for the body, then you would come on your back and take a figure four shape. A little bit different, but will still kind of help you get that nice opening into the hips and the right glute piriformis area.
2: Right. And I think in your article, you also mentioned the locust pose. Yeah.
4: So the locust pose is really nice. It massages the abdomen and your reproductive organs, which is really helpful for cramping. Again, getting that circulation and movement through there. The other really nice thing that we haven't talked about is digestion. Digestion tends to slow down and this pose actually really helps to improve digestion during this time and help to relieve or reduce a little bit of the bloating that might be associated.
2: And what does locust look like?
4: Yeah, so you're going to be laying onto your belly. And so again, it's kind of that abdominal massage because you're on your belly. And then there's a few options here. You can bring your hands behind the back interlaced and just allow the chest to lift and open. Mm-hmm. You can also incorporate the legs and lift the legs up off of the mat whatever feels comfortable for the body right it's not about kind of pushing and being super intense during this time it's really about just like nurturing the body
2: So you're not doing it sort of like a back extension. You're not trying to. You
4: can, but it's not a super big back bend. It's really just like the heart opening. Thinking of, um, I said this last night when I taught this, like a heart on your string and someone's pulling that forward. So the heart comes forward, the chest opens, Mm -hmm. um, like the collarbones are widening, the shoulders are opening. It's more so like that focus versus it is a back bend, but a milder back bend.
2: Okay. Yeah. So those are the things that we should do if we have PMS and, and we're, we're considering a yoga practice. Mm-hmm. But are there any poses that, you know, you might not want to do, you might want to avoid if you're having those troubles? Yeah,
4: for sure. So a lot of the big inversions we want to avoid. So a couple of things like during the time of PMS, are joints get a little bit softer and more tender, a little bit more swollen. So we wanna make sure that we're not kind of overdoing it during this time. Again, it's moving more to the nourishing, restorative yin, the healing the healing practice versus the go, 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 push harder. What happens during menstruation is apana, which is the downward flow, which is the energy responsible for menstruation. When we flip the body upside down, headstand, handstand, what have you, we're reversing that flow, right? So Mm -hmm. instead of the downward flow, it's going up which can disturb the natural kind of cycle of menstruation. So we, we want to kind of avoid that. Also, things like, you know, these intense practices where we have to use a lot of our core energy and, and lift the pelvic floor, that intensity in that area can also kind of affect the natural flow of the menstruation. So we want to just be mindful of, of those intense practices.
2: Right. And so you might want to avoid classes that combine so there other modalities like hit yoga maybe not, is not a great choice, right?
4: yeah and like of course like everything right we're all built differently and so what what we gravitate and what we can tolerate is different so you all know your body's best so listen to that if you're feeling tired restorative, yin, lean into that. If you feel you've got great energy and this is not affecting you as much, go and do your vinyasa practice, but avoid the inversions. You know, maybe don't push as hard and just really listen to to what the body is giving you.
2: Fantastic. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming on the show.
4: Amazing. Thank you so much for having me.
2: We'll have to have you back again soon.
4: Great. Thanks, Jamie.
2: We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the top tips for planning your next holiday office party on The Tonic. Getting life insurance for type 2 diabetics can be a confusing and frustrating experience. Many type 2 diabetics buy life insurance products that are either way too expensive or take too long to buy. Most type 2 diabetics are surprised how affordable life insurance is. For example, a 55-year-old type 2 diabetic can get $250,000 of life insurance for only $86 a month. Remember, your information and quotes are completely confidential and there's no obligation to buy. So if you're a type 2 diabetic, take your best first step in buying life insurance by going to TypeTrue.ca. That's T Y P E T R U E.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic talk show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic talk show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're
1: listening
0: to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
2: Vito Marinuzzi was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way, through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gino Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser, and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff, and he did. Now, as co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of seven numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve the culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back to the show. Thanks again. I've got a really small staff. For our holiday party, I book a table for three at the top dim sum restaurant in the city (laughs) and let them pick the dishes, and that's how we live it up. But other companies or corporate divisions or work groups are bigger and their holiday parties require more planning to execute. And I'm sure over the years you've hosted hundreds of parties at your restaurants. I thought I'd bring you on the show today uh, because I'm sure you have great tips on how to maximize that party utility.
1: Yeah. The party scene is definitely top of mind for most companies, big and small. I love that you have three and that makes it really easy. Yeah. Yeah. How you can go out and really enjoy yourself. Look, like it's a
2: table for four. That's right. it. But, you know, most people are booking half a restaurant or the whole restaurant or trying well, to it's figure one out what thing, to do. Yeah,
1: I mean, booking the restaurant is one thing. Then there's, you know, corporate policies and, and what they want to do while they're there and how right. they're going to control everybody. So as the companies get bigger, there are more rules yeah. uh, and more rules that they have to follow and, and sort of keep in their corporate. Exactly. You know, and there's budgets too. So let's talk. I mean, number one and two are going to be dates and then budgets. Right. Dates are the hardest because anytime you have a party of 30, they want a room, an area, something. So I always tell people like, call as early as you can, just book the date. Even if you don't want the party or you don't know what, you're going to just take the date because there's only 30 days, you know, approximately 25, 30 days to book. So... Yeah. That's it. Everybody does it inside of like two weeks. And uh, do people like call you last minute and say, you know, we need to book something for next week? Do you we even... Tons of people do that. Like small offices, you know, um, real estate offices, dental offices, yourself. Like you might book a couple weeks out because there's only six of you or eight of you, 10 of you, 12 of you. That's okay. But when you get into the twenties and thirties, there's usually someone's been put on it and they start about the middle of November. So if I'm new to
2: the party committee and my job is to secure a place, what what are some of the things you should consider if you're if you're planning a party?
1: It's every year. It's someone who's new to the party committee. Right. Like there's, it's never the same per- like almost never the same person because they do it once and they don't want to do it. No, again. exactly. <laughs> once you've done it, you're like okay, I'm, it's a I'm thankless out. job, right? No, absolutely everything's your fault. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, calling the restaurant and sliding the date in and getting getting your name on that book for that room is probably the most important thing. And then having a quick discussion about budget because um, over the years, it's changed so much. 15 years ago, there was no budget talk. There really wasn't. Yeah. Even 10 years ago, you just booked it and they came in and swiped their card and off they went. But now there's so many rules with alcohol and how many drinks per person and what they should eat. And there's got to be a dozen, 15 different dietary restrictions that you're trying to accommodate at any one party. Yeah. Uh, so challenging, but for, yeah, for the newbie, I mean, definitely budget and date once they have that. And you'd be amazed at how many people don't have either of those two things. I'll get a phone call today. I inevitably like, there'll be a voicemail saying, I want to have a Christmas party. We're not sure of the date okay. and, we don't, and
2: we don't know numbers. Yeah. We're <laughs> not sure
1: of the numbers because, you know, you invite 30 and only 20 show up. And are we having spouses or not? Do you have room for spouses or partners? And then, but so they really don't, they do call without those two major things in hand.
2: Okay. So once you once you book the date and, and once you figure out who's coming, like what sort of things can they do to maximize their experience? Like, is it better that they go for a set
1: menu, for example? Yeah, have price, speed, making sure everybody's get, gets fed in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. So how long should you book? Like for right. a party? Like we try uh, parties. We don't we don't double book a party. Like anything over fifteen, you, that's three hours. Right. By the time people arrive, someone's late, someone's early, then they order. But if they all went à la carte, and we you know strongly discourage that because it's impossible for our kitchen to do a party of 30 a la carte. Oh, yeah. Sure, you can do it. It just takes longer. You know, but Um, fixed menu makes sense. Fixed menu makes sense. And normally they're trying to streamline the budget so the fixed menu almost 99.9% is is 100% agreeable. So it's no problem. How things change. You you mentioned 15 years ago. So what was going on 15 years ago?
2: (laughs) Let's hear some war stories.
1: <laughs> That's what you are really. No horror. Yeah, exactly. No horror <laughs> stories. Okay, a couple of horror stories. But there was no rules on alcohol. There was, you know, there was less office etiquette. There were no dietary restrictions. But the main one was probably alcohol. People just came in and said, "You know, it's an open bar. Anybody can have whatever they want." And over the years, that's come down to from an open bar to then it was beer and wine. From beer and wine, then it's drink tickets.
2: Yeah, like two from drink drinks. Tickets, two drinks. Yeah, yeah we're yeah.
1: down to like I we've down to one drink ticket. And then now we book a lot of parties where the meal is included, but alcohol is not. And everybody is running a tab for their drinks. Is that a challenge for you? Like, what sort of things do, well, should it's hard, you think? Yeah, I mean, you're running 30 cash and carry tabs for alcohol. And more than that, I'm sure we can manage that part. People just don't drink as much. So, like, the final bill is much, much less. Do
2: you think there's going to be a change this year now that cannabis is legal Are people going to have expectations that they're going to be permitted to do that in your restaurant and or is that going to affect your alcohol
1: bills? There's been a big discussion about will it affect the alcohol bill? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, once, if you're high, you might drink more. You might. You might. You're definitely (laughs) going to eat more. (laughs) Yeah. We haven't had a formal discussion about it. I mean, no, you can't smoke cannabis in the restaurant. I guess if you have to accommodate someone's ailment and that's- No, no, I'm not talking about medical.
2: No, but like are are people
1: allowed to, for, for example, vape in your restaurant? I've never seen it. No. I don't think they are allowed to vape. I don't, I'm just uh, asking. I don't even know what the law I don't think is. Uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure they're legally not allowed to vape indoors. Okay. But, but you we, have a beautiful be patio, naive, don't you? Yeah, we, <laughs> we encourage it out there. Uh, you'd be naive to think they're not smoking yeah. cannabis or other drugs during their Christmas party. That's right. that's, that's the thing that we, no one ever talks about is what's consumed other than dinner and alcohol at a Christmas
2: well, party. Well, you know, I think the Me Too movement, I think one of the spinoff effects is people are sort of making sure they're not getting too far out of hand in the work context context because they don't want to be in a situation where you know something happens and then you know know, i I used to be a lawyer and there used to be notorious parties for the law firms you know famous yeah
1: like i mean unbelievable
2: there was a merger once between a canadian uh, law firm and a u.s law firm that almost completely derailed because of a joint christmas party where things got (laughs) out of hand
1: i think there's enough checks and balances in place now for most companies, that doesn't happen. But if you get an ad agency and well, they're a still lot of notorious. Youth, yeah. They're still notorious. Yeah, they don't have budgets, and a lot of other things other than alcohol get consumed, and it becomes a real big party. So people come in to the restaurant, and they're going to have
2: expectations about you know what they're going to get for budgets. What, what tips do you have to maximize? Like if if you're coming in and you're planning a party for an office, and you like, is it X dollars per
1: head? What's reasonable now? Like what can people expect? I mean, maximize. If you're just up front with us saying, you know what, there's 28 of us. We have whatever the number may be. Yeah. That's what we have. Like, what's the best you can do for us? So some companies really want to make sure that everybody gets, you know, two drinks. Right. But they don't really want to pay all, you know. So maybe you'll cut a course. So that's it's good for me to know that because instead of me trying to feed you a four-course dinner— I'll do a three course and get everybody a glass of wine because that's something that doesn't fit in the budget.
2: So if I'm planning a party, should I say to you, let's pick a red, let's pick a white? Is, is that a way Yeah, to I mean, almost, about it?
1: almost always they'll pick a red and a white. They'll try something, you know, middle of the road, nothing too crazy, maybe not the house wine. Right. And then lately it's been a lot of just wine. Like they don't know cocktail. Right. You know, there's like this misconception maybe that cocktail has more alcohol in it. And so people will get drunker faster. Well,
2: it's probably easier for you to uncork a bottle and just pour, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: beer and wine is always going to be the, the easiest for us to serve for right. sure. Are people uh, gravitating towards vegetarian menus? Huh.
2: Yeah. Like, I presume you have to have an alternative, right? There's always going to be a certain With percentage. With Italian
1: food, it's easy because I would say 60% of our menu is already vegetarian. I mean, remove any cheeses and they're probably all vegan. Right. So that's fine. Yeah, but why would you remove the cheese? Right. I, you know. <laughs> because they have to. Yeah. It's when you get specific diet requests. Like we had a, like a specific, like, you know, we have uh, 22 people but 90 of them are keto. Right. Can you accommodate keto? You know, and there I am Googling keto which really is nothing. Just don't eat any carbs. Yeah. It's, all, it's very meat That's and vegetable That's a very specific heaven. thing to be asking a restaurant I would think. Well, you know? also it'd be
2: I would imagine it becomes expensive. It's cheaper to serve pasta For and sure. pizza and then, you know, if everybody's getting a meat or fish portion that, that can yeah, get pretty. Yeah, we
1: tailored their, like their main courses didn't have any carbs or starches and weren't sifted in flour like we did that for them because we can do that but i thought like that's that's a very specific request are
2: the requests getting stranger or have what's historically like what's the strangest thing you've had to deal with that? i
1: don't think they're getting stranger they're just more there's no party that doesn't have at least two or three separate dietary restrictions whether they be vegan or keto or paleo it's across the board you just hear of it more frequently but they're not getting any crazier not yet anyway
2: Okay. What other considerations are there that, you know, people should think about, even if they're bringing their party to another location? Like, you know, I know that, um, you know, some companies will do like a secret Santa or holiday gift exchange. And like, is there any sort of limitations on what people can do at a restaurant as opposed to a different type of venue?
1: If they have a room then I mean, like we have a, a photo booth and a DJ for one party. Because they have the whole back room. So they're entertaining themselves and making sure that the staff is entertained, which was pretty cool. Because some parties go, they just fall flat. They come in, they eat, and then that's a lot it. of thank yous, and they're out of there.
2: Right. But, you know, if you're bringing... I used to DJ back in the day. Not every space can accommodate a no. DJ, right? Like, I would suggest that it's in their interest if they're doing something like that. that they, you got to check it with the venue first. Yeah, make I mean, sure that's,
1: again, that's be upfront with us. Like, just tell you us. You don't want
2: to like, blow, blow the fuse box, no, right? No, we're
1: going we're to do karaoke tonight, or can you accommodate a DJ, or... We're going to have a photo booth in the back corner. Do you have 10 square feet for us? So, like, those are good things. Those are good organizers that give you those things up front. That, the budget, the date, and from that point on, everything's pretty easy. Kitchens are now accommodating all the diets, so it's actually not that hard.
2: Okay, so if uh, somebody wanted to reach out to you to book something at your restaurant, Seven Numbers, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, I
1: would never self-plug my own restaurant. No,
2: I'm I'm, I'm putting it out there.
1: (laughs) The best way is probably to email us. Email info, I-N-F-O, at Seven Numbers, spelled out dot yep. com.
2: Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show today. Anything in particular you want to talk about next month for January? The horror stories from the Christmas parties. Yeah. Okay. You're <laughs> going to be back and tell us who got out of hand. Fantastic. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomaradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Joel Thuna, Naomi Busson, and Rochelle Winson, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA, and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or, you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss men's health issues, why it's okay to indulge over the holidays, lifestyle hints for improving mood, and vertical farming. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.